Father, thank you for that confidence that we have in you alone. Holy Spirit, when our eyes are tempted to stray to the left or to the right, to look to other things for any sense of momentary, not only pleasure, but momentary confidence, Lord, we ask that your Spirit would direct our eyes to look to you. Because none of those other things can save. None of those other things bring you glory. None of those other things can, can stand in the place of your awesome presence. So Holy Spirit, direct our eyes yet again to the throne of grace, recognizing we deserve judgment and yet receive mercy through Jesus Christ. Strengthen our faith today through that in Jesus' name, amen. Church, you can be seated. Thank you guys for leading us this morning. Just wonderful. Just wonderful. I know that uh, it has been a long week around here, and I look forward to sharing more updates and perhaps through some of our social media, some of the the pictures and things from a live camp that happened here at the church this week. Uh, If you have your Bible with me, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 14. We're going to be in the first 12 verses together today, but I just want to thank the leaders that have uh, really just poured out Not only did they pour out their heart and soul this week, many of them were at Neighbor to Neighbor yesterday, and then they actually have an alive event this afternoon at Disney Springs called Blue Ganoo, and it is a, well, it's a pretty epic uh, manhunt, really, is what's happening, but don't tell Disney's security we have an event there. Um, It's a great event, and it's a lot of fun, and uh, I love that, uh, well, my house is going to be empty for the rest of the day, actually, is what I love, uh, because my family's going to be out there. This is actually something that our young adults and our youth ministry do together. The, the young adults dress up and hide in plain sight in Disney Springs, and then the goal is for our teens to find them, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, if, if you want some good people watching, that's the place to find it this afternoon. So uh, if you have turned in your Bible uh, to Romans chapter 14, let's just read God's Word together this morning. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die... We are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then... 
each of us will give an account of himself to God. Father, we pray this morning that your word would renew our minds and transform our hearts toward one another. That it would, it would illuminate areas of our heart that have been darkened, perhaps even for years or no matter how long we have followed you. Perhaps today, the light of the gospel will come on for someone. We say thank you for that. We say thank you for any change that happens through your word because we recognize we can't accomplish these things without your spirit's guiding, without your spirit's strength. So spirit, strengthen us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, like many of you, our home has had a very similar background noise this last week or so, and probably will for another week. Uh, I, I hope that this is the case in your home. Perhaps you have the Olympics on, like it's just kind of this background noise in our house. And I never know what time zone I'm watching in anymore. Like, is this actually live, or has Twitter known this for, you know, half a day already? I don't know anymore. I don't care. Um, I just, you know, I cheer, right? We're, we're kind of having fun with it. When we, when we first turned on the, the opening ceremonies, it was like, this is definitely weird, right? Maybe we're the only ones, but it was weird, and, and we kind of forced our children to watch it with us, uh, at least the ones that we could get to stay in the room, and, and then slowly everybody's been kind of warming to the games being on, and we'll sit down at some point and kind of watch a competition together and then, and then uh, go about our separate ways or whatever else. That, that's, that's kind of the ebb and flow of a home, isn't it? But, but these days, it seems like what we're centering around is the Olympic Games. It's, it's a fun background noise to have in the house. But I found myself doing something. I mean, there's, there's certainly the games that, that you can tell who won by the score. Actually, I guess that's really true for all of them. But there's like points that are scored in basketball or there's time that's uh, run or swam or different things like that. that. That's a competition where it's very clear to tell who it is that won. And then there's the subjective sports. We have this both in, in the uh, Summer Olympics. You have this in the, the Winter Olympics as well, right? Those are the, the ones where there's a judge involved. And here's, here's what I make a sport of. I judge the judges. Am I, am I the only one? I can't be the only one that does this, right? Where you're just like, hmm, that judge, they're scoring low today. I mean, we notice this, right? Like, I mean, what does Finland think that is, I mean, is everybody Okay. Like, Finland is just scoring high on everything, and I'm, I'm just using them as an example. I actually don't know if there's a Finnish judge. Right? I mean, we kind of recognize what's going on where they're just like, who's knocking off points for difficulty? And, and what we're doing is we have the person that we want to win, and we kind of start judging the judges based on that, right? Actually, this, this week as I was finishing this illustration, I just thought, I, I just want to see how the Olympic judges are chosen. So I started typing into Google, and then like the autofills that came up, the top three were bias, rigged, the Olympic judges rigged, the Olympic judges biased, the Olympic judges scandal. I was like, okay, I could, so I'm not the only one. Apparently, apparently, this is like top search stuff in Google, but I kind of take on this role of judging the judges. All of a sudden, I'm an expert at a sport I've never participated in. <laughs> I know everything. I know everything that there is to know about it because I'm rooting for the person you're scoring against. Something I haven't even seen in four years. I, I, I become an expert at those things. 
We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But for today, I, I want us to see in, in this passage how it is that Paul releases the church to unity in the church through the diversity in the church. Paul releases the church to unity through the diversity that is in the church. Now, you may think, now that sounds great, that, that sounds like a nice line, but how can all of these opinions that are gathered together in the church, how can all these various levels of spiritual maturity, how can they all gather together in unity? And over the last few weeks, there's, you may have noticed that there's been a trend of a lot about the subject of love in our passages. And Paul doesn't necessarily specifically define love, but he does give us very practical ways that it should be expressed in the church when we're gathered together. And in our passage today, he continues to do that. Actually, throughout this chapter, Paul is going to be dealing with the reality that our love may be tested more by Christians who disagree with us than unbelievers who persecute us. Welcome to Metro Life Church. If you are a guest, we're glad you're here. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors. It's not exactly the thing that we like lead out with when we're welcoming people in hospitality, but it's a reality that we all live, isn't it? We've all experienced those moments. So Paul is going to this week and next use food, Sabbath, drink. He's going to use those illustratively for us to help us understand that even in the church today, there remain disputable matters. There remain uh, what your Bible translation may say are opinions related to a variety of things. Christians are going to disagree over uh, disputable matters. There are a couple of different translations that that name that differently. Perhaps you noticed that as you were reading. Your Bible is not broken. It's just a, a different rendering of the original text to help us understand a bit more broadly. But perhaps it says uh, secondary opinions or disputable opinions. If you have the King James, that one was pretty epic, but I, I just forget off the top of my head what it was. It was like, uh, disag- uh, never mind, I'm not even going to try. It was a wild one. But here's the thing. It's a, it's a practice or an activity. I just want to make sure that we're all clear on this. When I'm talking about opinions or secondary matters or, or disputable matters in the church today, that is a practice or activity that the Bible informs our convictions about, but it does not specifically forbid. Yet at the same time, some Christians are still uncomfortable with it. Now, this is a bit of a part A or or first part of a message that we'll wrap up at the end of chapter 14 next week. But I want us to understand how it is that we are called to welcome the weak. Now, Paul is going to direct his comments to the strong. He's, He's kind of talking to them, but he's talking about the weak as if they're not hearing it right in that moment. He's going to say to the strong, I need you to understand who's strong and who's weak. And, and when he, he says, it, like he does in the ESV, when he says, that, welcome those who are weak, what he's talking about is believers who lack an understanding or maybe even a maturity to walk out their freedoms in Christ. So he's directing his comments to the strong, but we should really understand what is happening practically in the weak, in the church. The weak in the church. This blend in the church there is a blend of Jewish and Gentile believers in Rome's They are the ones who are abstaining, but they are concluding that what's wrong for them is wrong for everybody, right? So don't think that the weak are just kind of uh, meekly sitting back and not having an opinion. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about like, 
you should make sure that you are hearing the voice of everyone or that, you know, make sure that everybody is seen. They were seen, they were heard, and that was what was causing some divisions in the church. In, in their weakness, they were making a claim on everybody's faith. You know, today we would actually call this adding to the gospel. You're adding something to the gospel. Why? Because these are, as I said just a moment ago, they are secondary items. They are not things that Scripture clearly forbids. They're not necessarily related to salvation or uh, Christ's divinity or things that are like of utmost importance in the church to have an understanding of. They are about opinions or they're about things that, that don't necessarily matter, that things that may come and go even as the tides turn. Actually, for us as believers, it's important for us to understand this doesn't just mean welcome all and not have, not have a biblically informed conscience on anything. If we think back to Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says this, let love be genuine. Okay, so there's the part about love. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So we should be discerning. There's, there should be some way that we are able to discern what is right and wrong, and, and in Scripture certainly informs us to do so. But we also have to have this ability to welcome those who may be weak or immature or not yet strong in their faith in some different ways. And what does, what's the illustration that Paul uses? Well, he uses the illustration in verses 2 and 3, food that is offered to idols. Food that is offered to idols. Now, this is like a huge preaching mistake. I'm talking about food in a sermon. So just self-control, everybody, right now. We're not going to think about lunch. We're not going to think about lunch. And this isn't a carnivore versus vegetarian conversation. This isn't about what's the healthiest diet. This is actually about where our convictions become claims on other people and how we have to be very careful with that. We have to be in right relationship with people to be able to make those types of claims. But here's the thing. These claims had started rising to a level where the church was not being brought together. They were being driven apart by them. Now, why would somebody say, I'm only going to eat vegetables? Have they read the Daniel diet? I don't know. I don't think that that's what's going on here. Why would they do that? Well, culturally, at the time, in Rome, in the market, what was being sold after sacrifice before idols and other gods in the city was meat. And so Christians there had the conviction of, I don't want to eat meat that's already been sacrificed to another god. I, I, I don't want to have that kind of as a part of who I am. And there's something actually very admirable about that. We see that in covenants. We see that in language throughout Scripture where God is saying not to do that, but what, what they are bringing in are traditions that they're most comfortable with, and they're making a claim on everybody else. We have to be very careful with this. In the midst of their abstaining from this, others in the church didn't have those same type of cultural claims. They, remember, there was a mix of Jew and Gentile, so they, the Gentiles that were there were like, this is what I grew up on. I'm going to eat the meat. And it was something that was very comfortable for Their conscience was clear before the Lord in doing that. And what is the result of this division in the church? Well, it's a passing of judgment. It's a passing of judgment that happens. We see that in verse 4. Now, we should 
understand what's being said here, as I said earlier. This doesn't mean don't be discerning. It doesn't mean don't call sin what it is or don't, don't speak to a brother or sister in a way that calls them out of sin that they may be deliver, deliberately living in or call them up to the ways that we are called to live as followers of Jesus. But Paul is saying, don't you, in your freedoms, take on a self-righteousness in the way that you look at your brother and sister. It's, it's scary to think that Self-righteousness might be a byproduct of the freedoms that we find in Christ's fulfillment of the law. This should be a check for all of us today, right, in our, in our heart, like, are there ways that I do that? Are there ways that, that my freedoms have just become kind of this steamroller to relationships? Even as I'm being hospitable, I'm welcoming in the stranger, someone I don't know, someone we haven't even talked about what our convictions are, and I'm living out my Christian freedoms right in front of them. We'll get to that one a little bit more next week with drink. But you realize just the table setting on the way in could be like this moment of pause for everyone. It's the most divisive charcuterie in the history of the church. See, here's, here's, let, me, let me ask you this question. It's not a trick question. Gathered here today, do you consider yourself a strong believer? you consider yourself a strong? It's not a trick question. But if you consider yourself a strong believer, then love practically makes a claim on you here. It actually says, it demands that you defer to the immature believers, to the ones who are called weak here in the gathering today. See, the call to us as strong believers is a call to protect and to give time and to allow them to grow in maturity, not to stunt it by our self-righteousness. That's a call for us as a church. It's something we should consider deeply in our community, in our friendships, in the ways that we fellowship with one another. I'm talking about even not just this gathering, I'm talking about every time that we're together in the church. If you're in a meeting and the opinions are flying, this is dangerous. You're in this dangerous category in this dangerous territory why is it that the strong are supposed to defer to the weak well because all of us are weak before god all of us are vulnerable before him so we welcome the ones who are weak because we have been welcomed by god this word welcome actually has this very broad connotation of hospitality it's not just talking about tolerate them (laughs) it'd be interesting to be a part of a church that tolerates each other right it'd be like the weirdest like those magnets that just repel one another oh yeah we're in the same place but we're never near each other that's what a church filled with tolerant people is no we're we're those who are strong in their faith are called to protect and nurture the weak Actually, if we think about the context of Romans that this is being said in, we could take it as far as to say that's a spiritual act of worship to defer to the weaker brother or sister. It's laying our life down. It's sacrificing ourselves and our opinion. Why? Because there's a greater goal in their maturity. There's a greater kingdom that we're all living for. There's a greater moment to come in heaven for eternity. And so this moment right now, oh, it's an easy one to defer in. It's easy to not look down on you because of this. 
because God came down and welcomed me just in the same way that he has come to welcome you. It changes the whole perspective, doesn't it? Like our testimony becomes this very practical tool that we can use with one another, that we can share, not out of a sense of shame or anything like that, but we can share out of freedom the things that God has, has walked us through in our lives. And what is that? Well, that becomes a tool in the life of another believer. That becomes something that encourages them in their own faith, maybe gives them something to consider in the days or the weeks or the months ahead. It's a part of the church being knit together in unity rather than gathered in a form of tolerance toward one another. See, all of this really points to something that verses 5 through 9 help us understand. It points to the fact that the, the one that we claim is Lord matters. His lordship matters over us. Now, in verses 5 through 6, Paul is going to begin to make a a claim about the Sabbath day. Now, we did, a, we did a series on the Sabbath here over the holidays. It was a wonderful series. My goal today is not to undermine all of that. But this is Paul's illustration. And then he begins to kind of mix it with the food that is, that is uh, consumed when they're gathered together. He starts with an illustration on the Sabbath because He's addressing the variety of attitudes in the church about the observance of days. Perhaps you've noticed this on calendars where they have uh, the, the observances of, of different religious groups and you realize there are a lot of days that that makes a claim on. And the Gentiles, as they were gathered together, would notice like there are a lot of days that are being observed. Actually, there is a weekly day that is being observed. And there was disagreement about what that looked like, but here's where we begin to dig down into a very practical understanding of what is essential or what is most primary in matters of our faith. The holiness of God. The authority of Scripture. The real issue of sin that has to be dealt with. The deity of Christ. Salvation by faith alone. Not by any of our works. So if we take that the good news and we, if we take that good news and we put it into a variety of local contexts, we realize that throughout the world, things will look very different. There is a reality to the cultural difference between a church in Central Florida and our brothers and sisters in Haiti. Can I give you just an example? We'd all been here together for prayer at sunrise this morning, if this were a church in Haiti. And it's a wonderful experience to be there for that. Culturally, that is their norm. That is what it looks like for them to gather. I'm not at all saying that prayer isn't important. I'm not at all dismissing that that's what their culture does. But that is a significant difference, even just in the gathered church. Can you imagine other ways that our cultures might be different? But we don't look down on them. They don't look down on us. When we gather together, why? Because what, what are they looking for? Well, what is their heart serving as Lord? When I'm with our brothers and sisters in Haiti, their services may look very different. A funny story that came up one time, <clears throat> I was there with a group of guys and, and I went in front of the church and, and Daniel looks at me and he says, would you have some song that you would like to sing for us? Or maybe a dance. It's me and five guys. No, but thank you for the opportunity. We just don't roll that way here, right? And you're welcome for the glory of God. 
We just don't roll. No, no, no dance. Uh-uh. There's, already a, there's already a gif or a jif rolling around here, thanks to Marcus Kester, of one of those moments. I mean, it's, it's fun to laugh at because we're not laughing in a condescending way. Why? Because we recognize their heart is to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. I remember looking at the guys with me and I was like, fellas, I'm sorry, I had no idea he was going to ask us that in front of everybody. And we all just kind of like wide-eyed looked at each other like, no. <laughs> See, we want to we be careful of moments where we put ourselves in the place of being the master. I want to be careful of moments where we put ourselves in the place of being master. Why do I say that? Because our understanding, our acknowledgement, our lifestyle that is informed by the lordship of Jesus Christ, it also gives fuel for the mission that we're called to. It's going to make a difference, uh, not only in sharing the good news of the gospel, but uh, living a life of conviction that displays our faith for others to see. Yes, we welcome in the stranger that they may know their need, that they may receive the salvation that Jesus Christ provides. But that's the same good news that continues to knit us together as a church. Those who have been rescued, those who have been called together as the functioning body of Christ, individually playing our parts in unity with one another. You begin to see how very practical these things are to the church. But when we put ourselves in the place of saying that we are the master, then we start to say that we're the ones that are able to accomplish something, that we are the ones that have the liberty to gauge our own conduct according to our own will for our own gain. And you start to see how it becomes this very self-centered thing. See, Paul rejects this by saying, no, the gathering is a gathering of servants of Jesus Christ. Those who are subject to Him. We are directed by His will. We are directed for His glory. I like what Charles Hodge says in summary of verses 5 through 9. He says this, The sentiment is, we are entirely His, having no authority over our life or death. Now you may think that seems kind of fatalistic. No, it's wonderful. It's actually something quite wonderful. Think about how much we spend time trying to stave off death. And I'm not saying don't be healthy. Think about time that we give to trying to ensure that the hour that has already been appointed by the Lord doesn't come for any of us. Think about those moments when you are standing at the edge of eternity with a loved one and you just think, if only we had more time. And the way that you live may begin to change as a result of that. See, we realize that to live is Christ, but those who are believers, to die is to gain. I want to live like either one of those is perfectly fine with me. Oh, I, may my soul be content in what Charles Hodge describes as a sentiment, that I am entirely his that you are entirely his, no authority over my own life, that God would be the one directing us, that I've been called to welcome as I have been welcomed, that I am called to display the lordship of Jesus Christ with my life, and you are called to do the same. 
but we come to a question about our thoughts and our attitudes, our actions toward our brothers and sisters. Scripture tells us that we're going to give an account for all of those things. I think I've said this before, but over the last couple of years, there has been a lot of talk of a reckoning. A reckoning with the police departments. A racial reckoning versus a biblical racial reconciliation. A reckoning of those who are the oppressors over the oppressed. And I just want to caution us, church. There is no reckoning coming in this earth that can stand in light of the reckoning to come for eternity. And I don't say that to be like a a downer. I say that to say don't find your hope in this earth. That there will be a time that we give an account. And we realize, I mean, we, we were singing this earlier. I enter into the throne room and I bow. What is bowing a sign of? What is raising our hands in worship a sign of? It's a sign of surrender. How is it that we will stand before the judgment throne of God someday? It's through surrender. Verses 10 through 12 in our passage today help us understand that. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Paul gets right to the heart of the matter in verse 10, that we are passing judgment against our brother. How does God's word instruct us today? Here at Metro Life Church as a gathering of the redeemed, how is it that we are called to live? What I see in verse 10 tells us that there is a familial level connection, that we are brothers and sisters, brother to brother, sister to sister, and that matters in the context of this local church. I'm not saying that we replace our physical families. I am saying we treat each other like we're going to be around each other for eternity, And it changes the way that we act toward one another. I think we've all experienced that moment in life where something happens around Easter time and all of a sudden you realize around Thanksgiving, it's still there. You ever had that moment? Does it change the way that you live, the way that you interact with your family, the way you think about time together? So you can sow that good or you can sow that ill and it will return in those moments. And what is Christ calling his church to, the one that he gave his life for? Not to pass judgment on one another. Not to have this view of condescension toward your brother or sister. To defer to those who are weak so that they may grow in strength. See, the final judgment is up to God. His evaluation will be perfect Our reward will be exactly what we deserve. So will our brothers and sisters. So here's what we can do. We can feel free to leave that up to him. 
You know, every once in a while, we just need to be reminded that ain't your job. It can be freeing, right? Because we'll take on things as a responsibility, like, I need to defend the faith. Not like that. Feel free. Be released from that sense of responsibility. Why? Because he's actually good at it. He's good at it. It's in his nature. It's a part of his character. It's a part of his care. It's a part of his way of expressing his love. It is a part of the way that we understand who he is. And we are not good at it. Let's be clear on that. It's Christ who sets the example of how we should respond to disagreements with our brothers and sisters. Through Jesus Christ, God the Father welcomes both the weak and the strong, and through the Holy Spirit, He strengthens the weak and uses the strong to express the love and care that are essential parts of His character. He's good at it. We tend to get that equation like very tilted one way or the other. See, whatever may come to mind right now that we're ashamed of or afraid of in our relationship with God, whether it's in the, in the past or in the presence, perhaps this passage today broadens the way that we think of what Scripture calls the day of the Lord. It'll be a marvelous day when we stand before the Lord, when we're in His presence. And yet there's much in my life that God has saved me from that without Christ I could not stand in the presence of the judgment seat of God. But because of Christ, I'll be able to say this. He paid the price for that. Christ took care of that in full. Jesus did that so I can be welcomed in. And in that moment, when my life, when your life is fully exposed... Through Christ, it will be reckoned. It will be corrected. Now, that's a glorious celebration of the salvation that Jesus alone can pre- provide. It might, might even be worth saying that that'll be the only time in my life I'll be 100% right. But see, we love to take that position in disagreements with one another, don't we? You may be right in all the wrong ways. Because not only will the things that I have done, good or bad, be judged, the reasons that I did them will be judged as well. The motivation for those things. So I think we all love to think of ourselves as strong. I know I do. Truth is, I'm strong in some ways and I'm weak in others. I'm both. Strong in some, weak in others. I think that's probably a more honest assessment of all of us here today. A wonderfully redeemed combination of strength and weakness. Isn't it good to be honest about that? To just acknowledge that for the truth that it is? Because it it erodes our self-righteousness. It causes us to stop looking at or to ourselves, and it causes us collectively to look to Christ. It frees us from being the ones who are evaluating or judging others based on our own strengths or weaknesses. So there is this beautiful unity 
that emerges from the diversity in the church as it comes to these things. Verse 11 is going to remind us that that Jesus is Lord, even as we saw a few weeks ago. Paul here quotes from Isaiah 45, 23, and in the context of Isaiah, verse 22, has this beautiful invitation from God our Father. Very simply, he says this, turn to me and be saved. See, God doesn't delight in our rebellion. God doesn't delight in our death. And this text reminds us that there is a heartfelt invitation that goes out to all of the ends of the earth that they may receive his salvation. Lastly, verse 12 tells us that we are going to give account for the primary matters. There's a day when we'll all stand before the judgment throne of God and our passage today is our reminder to stop trying to sit on that judgment seat. Get out of this chair. That's God's alone, and we can't sit on it here on earth. Not only will we give an accounting for our lives, we'll give an account for the ways that we would have judged others. So let me ask you this question, church. Have you checked your ledgers lately? I ask it that way because I'm using somewhat the, the language that Paul does, and it's a record not only of our actions but our attitudes, those true motivations toward others that God both searches our heart for and knows thoroughly but through jesus he also redeems have you checked your ledgers both strong and weak christians can cause brothers and sisters to stumble. why why do i say that because one may be flaunting the freedoms in christ and the other is attempting to control others in rules and regulations paul's call to us today is this to be strong in the faith and sensitive to the needs of others Now, when I opened, it was humorous for us to think about how easily we become the judge of judges when we're watching the Olympics. I say almost. It's almost humorous. Because I think it's worth being suspicious of our own hearts when we gather together in the church as well. It's not funny at all when we think about judging one another in the church. Who who wants to walk into a room filled with judges? Oh, no, no hands. Okay. Who wants to walk into a room filled with judges? What kind of church culture would that look like? What kind of church would that feel like? Who would that point to as Lord? I wouldn't want to go to church there. Here's what I I do want to take a moment to say. I just had a sense the Holy Spirit prompting me to include this today. If you've ever felt judged by me, Please hear a heartfelt desire to reconcile that now by a, hearing a heartfelt, please forgive me. I'd love to talk later so that I can learn how to not repeat that with others. Would, would you mind taking that step if that's you right now? I don't want to repeat that with others. I don't want to be one who stands here and preaches about these things, feeling the weight of conviction in my own heart as to how God is calling me to change and not acknowledge it. I've been wrestling through questions that I think that we all should, but I've been wrestling through these questions this week like this. What does it look like for me to welcome those I may have a view of as weak? Might there be areas that I've put myself in God's judgment seat toward others? Lastly, where might God be pointing out to me that I've raised a secondary issue 
to a primary status. As I said, we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week as we close out Romans chapter 14. And then a couple of weeks after that, I look forward to Danny Jones and Mike Gillen bringing our sermons. But today, can we collectively as a church lay down the burden to judge one another? Our brothers and sisters. Even more frightening that we would act like we are the judge, jury, and executioner. Can we simply be the children that God has called us to be? In unity, when gathered and glorify God in the way that we love one another, finding our hope, not in the rightness of our opinions, but finding our hope in Christ alone. Church, would you stand with me?